It's something like meeting people where they are, all kinds of people from everywhere, from a crack house to a mansion. I'm able to be with nearly everybody and to start with wherever they are. And maybe it's in the form of empathy, but it's at least in the form of curiosity and friendship, or at least willing to see the world from another person's eyes and give them the safety to know that they can share their world with me. Uh, I think there's something to that. I think I have that in a way that's maybe beyond um, what the average person has and, and that that has bode me really well. I'm very interested in each and every person I run into. And in fact, when it's when they're outside the range of, uh, you know, we're already out, outcast or having been um, disenfranchised in some, some way, they're even more interesting to me. And I like standing and being with those people. And I think they like standing and being with me and delivering their truth in my, in my space are an inspiring group of people. Every one of them from the larger-than-life comic book heroes you see on the big silver screen, the everyday heroes that let us live the privileged lives we do. Every hero has a story to tell. From the doctor saving lives at your local hospital, the war veteran down the street who risked his life for our freedom, to the police officers and the firefighters who risk their safety to ensure ours. Every hero is special and every story worth telling. But there is one class of heroes that I think is often ignored. The entrepreneur, the creator, the producer. The ones who look at the problems in this world and think to themselves, you know what? I can fix that. I can help people. I can make a difference. Then they go out and do exactly that by creating a new product or introducing a new service. Some go on to change the world. Others make a world of difference to their customers. Welcome to The Hero Show. Join us as we pull back the masks on the world's finest heropreneurs and learn the secrets to their powers, their success, and their influence. So you can use those secrets to attract more sales, make more money, and experience more freedom in your business. I'm your host, Richard Matthews, and we are on in three, two, one. Hello and welcome back to The Hero Show. My name is Richard Matthews and today I have the pleasure of having on um, Dr. Fred Moss. Are you there, Fred? I am. Good to see you. Awesome. Glad to have you here. So I was, uh, we were talking a little bit ahead of time. You're, you're near me in California right now. You're up in uh, um, between Reno, is that what you said? Reno yeah, and- a little bit north of Reno and Sacramento and a, uh, a cool little city called Grass Valley, Nevada County, California. And also what we do share is the living in the foothills of these long stretch of Sierra Nevada mountains. So are you above or below the snow line? I'm just below the snow line, actually. Good question. Yeah, that's, where, that's where my dad is, just below the snow line. If you drive up like 10 miles, you're in the snow. Mm-hmm. Like Absolutely. No mm-hmm. snow. It's like just perfect. <laughs> yeah, it's beautiful. Cool. So what I wanted to do before we get too far into this is just briefly cover um, some of your bio information for my audience who may not know who you are. So Dr. Fred Moss, um, you have... Uh, you're training professionally from Northwestern University Medical School. You've been working for four de- decades in the uh, uh, mental health field with over 40,000 patients. Is that right? That's right. I've, I mean, you got to count a patient as someone that I've entered a chart note on because some of these patients I only met for a few seconds because they didn't know how to talk or something like that. But I had to call them patients, you know, because I, I certainly got uh, credit for seeing them as a patient. <laughs> Nice. And now you are the founder of Welcome to Humanity Movement and host of the True Voice Podcasting Master, Mastermind and Methodology. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I wanted you to start off with is um, tell us a little bit about uh, what you're known for and what your business is and who do you serve? What do you do for them? Yeah. So, you know, my whole life has really been committed to uh, the notion that conversation, communication, and really human connection is at the source of all healing. And I've been enchanted with communication since I arrived on earth, actually, I had a couple older brothers and my parents, and I remember watching them from the playpen and really just thinking that they were up to something because they would just bark stuff at each other. And then they would somehow do something that was aligned as a result of that uh, type of conversation. 
So I became really just interested in how conversation moves the world. And I was never one to be low on conversation. Um, there's no elementary school teacher that I've ever had that has forgotten having me as a student, I'm quite sure. And as I went through school, you know, I kept on really wanting to learn how to communicate better, learning how to communicate more. And each time I graduated into the next level, well, I found out that that wasn't a place to communicate more. So I kept on looking forward and forward. And eventually, you know, we fast forward a little bit to the idea that I dropped out of college a couple of times because that sure as hell wasn't going to work. And then after that, decided after getting a job at a state hospital for um, adolescents that communication, again, was being called for and was useful and was not only healing them, but it was healing me. So I went back to school to be a psychiatrist, actually. I had no problem, only another 11 or 13 years. And I went back because I didn't like the way psychiatry had been treating the kids. And I thought if I went to psychiatry, I could really learn how to communicate. Uh, at the time, that was the essence of psychiatry. Of course, while I was in medical school, there was a big left turn made as this drug called Prozac was introduced to the world. And when Prozac was introduced to the world, it changed the whole way psychiatry was contemplated. It was changed the whole way that we even thought of mental health or mental illness. And discomfort in and of itself was now thought to be a pathology. Well, this was disturbing to me. I mean, after all, but I'm a psychiatrist and had already bought in some sunken costs had already been laid down and it was time for me to actually, you know, see what I could do as a doctor. But over the years as a doctor, we really got constricted and contracted, um, you know, over time restricted from what we could say. And I, in fact, became sort of a doctor instead of a healer. I was doing what I could do, doing what I should do, doing what they wanted me to do, doing what was called for. And I wasn't doing what I knew was right on a frequent basis. I was doing what I had to. So eventually I found my way, you know, found myself through 40,000 patients. And, and, you know, frankly, uh, Richard, the reason that I have so many different patients is because I quit a lot of jobs. I mean, I had, I got hired hundreds of times in different places and I was looking for the perfect place where I could actually heal, use my suit, you know, use my skills of a commun communicator, but there are few and far between in the field of psychiatry. So eventually I decided that I would start doing things a little different. Some people call me the undoctor because I undiagnose people, unmedicate people, and then undoctrinate people and really take them out of the system when they're ready. And then I notice when I undiagnose and unmedicate people is people naturally get better. I'm kind of in it for people to get better. That's, uh, I feel like that's a good reason to be doing this kind of work. But the system isn't necessarily geared towards people getting better, um, unfortunately. So I began to look at other ways to do things. And through um, telepsychiatry and through... Um, you know, I got pretty good at using computer technology for co communication over the last 10 years. And then I started this being a coach, transformational coach, a restorative coach, taking people uh, from an unoptimized or a suboptimized life to an optimized life through communication. And then, of course, you know, fast forward a little bit, I got to be a podcaster, love podcasting, why not? And excuse me, loved having great conversations with people. And now I was free to be a teacher again. So I now have backed out entirely out of the conventional medical system. And I no longer practice uh, psychiatry in any kind of conventional way. I don't do any diagnosing. I don't do any uh, medicating. But what I do do is really uh, take a major stand for people to find their authentic message and deliver that into the world. That's really what I'm interested in is helping people find that authentic message. It's there with all of us. And delivering that effectively in the world seems to bring some major power and freedom to those who are pursuing that. 
That's why I teach a course. And the, tour, the course is a True Voice Podcasting Mastermind. And the methodology is twofold. First, I give people access to their true voice, access to that authentic message, and then giving them what I think is the best platform ever created in humanity in order to deliver that message. And that would be in the form of something you're quite an expert at, and that's in the world of podcasting. Podcasting as an unmonitored, unmitigated, uncensorable, uncancelable platform where you own your own conversations and then can deliver it to a population that's eager to listen to it. There's never been anything like that that has this far reaching that, is, that this does and can be laser sharp stealth aimed at exactly who you want to listen to. Yeah. And there's never going to be anything like that, unfortunately, at least not in the near future. So it's really an honor to be involved in this field and to be assisting people to communicate effectively using the best platform that I think has ever been created to do so. And that's why I'm here. Yeah, yeah, I love it. I love your origin story, um, how you started in the, uh, you know, learning how to communicate and getting into psychiatry and then moving into the podcasting platform now. And um, it's like for me personally, I, I love podcasting. We use it for um, for small businesses, right, to as a way to communicate to prospects and create leads and create sort of authority in their in their space. Um, but that's not the only way it gets used. It's just one way that we help people use it. Um, and there's like there's nothing like it. It's a it's a very leveraged platform, um, and it's a great way to to build expertise and to build an audience and to get your message across to deliver your value to your people. Absolutely, so, really great. Yep. Yeah. So, um, with regard to your origin story and learning how to communicate and moving from um, from a psychiatrist psychiatrist into a you know a someone who teaches communication for a living. Mm -hmm. um, how, how did you find that transition just professionally to be going from a, a, a doctor practicing medicine, essentially, to being someone who is teaching communication professionally? Well, I think that, you know, I was just have always been extremely interested in healing and actually being doing something effective. And what really happened is I became disenchanted with what psychiatry was providing. So the idea of diagnosing someone as if they're abnormal, when in fact, maybe they're not abnormal, maybe they're just having the experience that they're having, led me to the next, uh, the next branding, which was a brand called Welcome to Humanity. And I am the founder of Welcome to Humanity. I've had that for a number of years. And what that really is, is embracing all of humanity as, as, as being exquisite, including the parts that are terrible. Yeah, like yeah. including the parts that are unspeakable. I mean, really, including the parts that are totally unacceptable, like all of it, the whole experience being exquisite. I began to see that having all this experience I've had been around the world quite a bit and, and done psychiatry and multiple, I don't know, as every arena available in the United States, I've had at least a taste of, I'm pretty sure. Um, that this was going to bode well, I, you know, with these 40,000 conversations and really learning about people from the ground up, it was very possible for me to see that communication, it was like, in fact, obvious to see that communication and connection is at the soul of all healing. And yeah. since it is at the soul of all healing, what else was I going to do? And it was an opportunity to what would a psychiatrist do if he was backing out of the field? He would certainly at least if he was me, lean on communication and connection as a source of healing and begin to actually teach what I had learned over my uh, over my years on this planet. Yeah, I, I really like the idea that um, that the entirety of the human experience is exquisite. Um, I have I have a similar 
similar phrase that I use that I, I've started describing life that way as, as, as since we've become travelers and full-time travelers mm-hmm. is that you have the the texture and contrast of life. Mm-hmm. Right? Exactly. And, and uh, most people are trying to get their life so that it's always like close to the median line. Um, and that just makes for a boring life. Right. And, yeah. you know, I, I have since traveling done everything from stand on the side of the road and scream into the night because you're broken down hundreds of miles from nowhere and wondering how you're going to keep your family safe the next day to standing on, you know, the edge of waterfalls with your kids and diving off into, you know, crystal clear pool while, you know, pools with your, your kids. Like it, yeah. you have, you have the extremes mm-hmm. and the extremes on either side are what make life interesting and fun and something that, you know, it's, you're you're excited to be a part of like and that includes to your point the bad stuff yeah it does it does the bad stuff is just another portion of uh some of the experiences that are available to us as humans i had mentioned to you beforehand that my i have these three cats you know desposito winston and valentino and they're beautiful they're so fun and they're such a they're such a reminder of what life can be i mean uh, Nobody relaxes, no human I've ever seen relaxes as well as all three of my cats do every single day and nearly every single minute of every day. So relaxation is really important. But to tell you the truth, no one plays as hard as my cats do either. No one has more fun and no one is more in the present as these three cats. And these three cats are no different than other cats, perhaps, but they really get that all the worries about the future or all the you know regrets about the past or concerns about um, you know, how things might go down or resentments with other people in our species um, are kind of unnecessary and, un, you know, and not that fun, but they sure are part of the essential space of being a human being. And it's fun to be even be able to review or view the cats as a way that could be and to incorporate that into the idea that all of life is really just an, a, a, it's a major uh, circus really of all the many ways uh, that we can enjoy or not enjoy love and hate and uh, regret and resent and fear and be anxious, all that. It's all uh, part of the same pot that allows for beauty and ecstasy and wonder and miracle and curiosity. They're all in the same soup together called being a human. Yeah. Yeah. And it's that, um, it's that wonderful duality of life, right? Like you can't, you can't define good without bad. And no, that's right. Yeah, and you can't define life without death. That's right, exactly. Uh, and because because they're contrasting elements, right? And they wouldn't exist without each other. You can't have man without woman, that kind of thing. And yeah. so you, you know, you may not want to have the bad experiences. You may want to try and minimize some of them, but they're all part of the experience. They're all they part really of, are. They're part of this thing we call life. Um, and sometimes they suck really, really bad. Yeah, that's right. They do. Sometimes they really suck really, really, really bad. And that's what I want to be very careful to, you know, convey to our listeners under no condition. Am I suggesting that those experiences need to be diminished in their power or their um, a tendency to uh, leave us even, you know, mar- leave us paralyzed or leave us, you know, just uh, hopeless or helpless because even being hopeless, helpless and paralyzed fall into the category of what we're talking here. I, that the idea is you're getting the whole taste of everything of what it means to be alive. And there's a, it's not like I'm looking forward to my next miserable experience. Far from that. I hope to have no more miserable experiences ever, except I'm likely to have a miserable experience or two if I hang around for a while. 
And it might as well look at it as being a precious piece of life. It's, don't tell me that while I'm going through the misery. That's not so easy. But at the same time, we can back out and really see that misery uh, in and of itself is uh, a, a central aspect of being a human being. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is something that everyone has experienced. For sure. Um, and none of us like it, but we can all connect over it, um, assuming we live through it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, you know, last I looked, and I'm, I'm not so I'm not so in tune with the story, but last I looked, you know, you know, the, the guy who sat underneath the Bodhi trees and he just sat there and sat there. And when he got up, he only had like one thing to say. And that's like, you know, suffering's part of the gig here. And that's, that's, uh, that, that's what he said. And that's, that's what he learned after he cleared off everything else. So the likelihood that suffering is part of the gig for me is pretty high. I, I'll give him, <laughs> give him some credit for discovering that. Yeah. So I want to, I want to talk a little bit about the, um, the superpowers you may have discovered in your own life over the course mm -hmm. of learning, learning what you have with, communication and you know we talk on the show every iconic hero has a superpower whether that's a fancy flying suit made by either genius intellect or super strength or the ability to call down thunder from the sky in the real world heroes have what i call a zone of genius which is either a skill or a set of skills that you were born with or you developed over your career that really help set you apart and help you slay the villains in your customers lives mm -hmm. right and the way i like to frame this people is if you look at all the skills that you've developed you probably have a common thread that ties all those skills together the one thing mm -hmm. that sort of like always comes back to and that common thread is where you'd find your superpower so with that framing what do you think superpower is that you've either were born with or have developed over your career that's great. It's a great question. And while I think about it, I'm just going to praise you. You know, I'm really actually thinking about it while I'm spitting this nonsense at you for praising you for the beauty of the question. But you should know that while I'm actually speaking to you to give you this praise, I'm trying to come up with a very good answer really in the background. Um, so uh, Okay, sorry about that. And so um, Here's what I think it is. Here's I think what we're talking about here, the superpower that I have. It's something like meeting people where they are, all kinds of people from everywhere, from a crack house to a mansion. I'm able to be with nearly everybody and to start with wherever they are. And maybe it's in the form of empathy, but it's at least in the form of curiosity and friendship, or at least willing to see the world from another person's eyes and give them the safety to know that they can share their world with me. Uh, I think there's something to that. I think I have that in a way that's maybe beyond um, what the average person has and, and that that has bowed me really well. I'm very interested in each and every person I run into. And in fact, when it's when they're outside the range of, uh, you know, we're already out, outcast or having been um, disenfranchised in some, some way, they're even more interesting to me. And I like standing and being with those people. And I think they like standing and being with me and delivering their truth in my, in my space. Yeah. My, uh, my best friend has that superpower. I call, I definitely call it empathy. Um, and it's the ability to just really see the other person for mm -hmm. who they are and for their value and the value that their story and their experience brings to our world. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and not everyone has that because not everyone can see beyond themselves well enough to, um, to really see the other person. And it's definitely a, a gift. Yeah. You know, I was, spe I was, uh, let's see what I was reading yesterday. I was just reading this yesterday. I I'm in, um, I'm in a Seth Godin course, Alt MBA. And I think it was in this project somewhere. And, um, there, there's something like all the travels that you and I have done. I've done a fair amount of travels as well and would have called myself a nomad for about 12 years up until recently. 
um, so I'm at least an ex-nomad at this point, um, is, uh, is uh, that travels, like you were saying, from the peaks to the valleys, you know, really offers the possibility, even a necessity of being able to meld in with the community that you find yourself in on any given morning. When you wake up and you don't even know what country you're in, you got to put that together first or at least what city you're in or what, what the rural or the suburban or the urban setting that you find yourself in your bed. Um, it takes something to get up and find out where the bathroom is or find out where the breakfast is or find out where to go next or the directions out of town or where's the museum or, you know, like really getting an idea of where safety is or where to avoid. And in order to do that, there has to be a connection made with different people from different walks of life and different cultures. So by necessity, I think we broaden our base when we travel. It's not a bad way to get around. Uh, these days, uh, our travel some, sometimes just includes uh, taking Zoom calls at odd hours in the night uh, that are consistent with like Asian time zones or something. And then you get to hang out with Thai people or you could, if you want to take Australian time zones, you can hang out with, you know, I don't know, New Zealand, Kiwis, whatever. Yeah, it's it's definitely interesting. I know I have definitely had the experience where I wake up in the morning and have to open the window and look around to see if I can remember where I'm at. Um, <laughs> All right, it's wild. Yeah, yeah, which is which is always fun. But to your point, one of the things that I've learned over the course of traveling is that like human human connection is not like an option for us to be healthy and to enjoy our lives. So when you're traveling, it could be very easy to have no human connection because you're always new wherever you're at. Um, mm -hmm. And so we've taken to the point now where it's like, if you don't take the opportunity to say hi now, you're never going to have that opportunity again, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, exactly. Especially with the group of people that you're around. So we have made some of our best friends in the world by just taking that chance and saying hi to a stranger. That's right. And, you know, inviting them over to dinner the first time that you met them, which does freak people out occasionally because that's not normal. But, you know, we, I'm glad to do it. Yeah, yeah. That's that's how you build connections and move forward. Right. And I think, you know, to your point, it takes a bit of empathy to meet someone where they're at and, you know, start creating relationships right off the bat. Well, you know, in the world of empathy, uh, much like you said, inside the world of duality, bad and good, man and woman you know, light and dark, uh, all the all the dualities that are out there, one has to get that the other side of empathy is an exquisite amount, extreme amount of selfishness. And um, I know how to be selfish, too. So I'm really quite familiar with, you know, being so self absorbed that I can't see past my own nose. And there's and, and, and that goes with the two things. So the, the value of the two is I get a life that's really interesting when I'm empathic. And I get a life that's kind of like a, um, a dead end when I'm selfish. And I still have a tendency to choose selfishness every so often. But when I do it, it doesn't work out pretty reliably. It, uh, you know, maybe hedonistic pleasure seeking or something works out for a moment. But ultimately, the whole thing just breaks down like drastically. And there's a, then there's a possibility of actually reaching out to be with others as a way of, you know, redefining and then resetting myself. Absolutely, which is, I think, a great transition to talking about the next question, which is about your fatal flaw. And the fatal flaw is always the flip side, generally, of your superpower. And just like every Superman has his kryptonite and Wonder Woman can't remove her bracelets of victory without going mad, your flaw is something that's probably held you back, right? Kept you from um, something you struggled with to grow your business. And 
um, you know, for me, I struggled with a couple of things. I struggled with perfectionism for a long time, right? Like not shipping product because I could tweak it just a little bit more. And I struggled mm -hmm. with self-care for a long time where I didn't have good boundaries with my time or with my clients mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, overworked myself. Um, but I think more important than what the flaw is, um, is how have you worked to overcome it so you can continue to grow your life and grow your business? Mm -hmm. Well, if I had to pick... If I had to pick this flaw, this fatal flaw, I think what I would pick is, you know, when I was a child, somewhere in third or fourth grade, um, growing up in the Detroit area, I remember on the edge of a dictionary, I was sad one day and I wrote something and I remember writing it because this dictionary actually stayed with me all the way through all years of college, actually, um, which is a lot of years. Um, and uh, that it was said, sensitivity shows foolish stupidity. And I think a third grader wrote that. I'm pretty sure I wrote that. And when I was in third grade, and there's something like really being so sensitive to, um, to maybe negative criticism or more than that, that, I think it's more than that. I think it's being to be especially held back for fear that when I do something outside the box that I'm going to be uh, seen as having done something wrong or bad, you know, like I go out of the box and not only is, am I not seen for the heroic measures I'm attempting to do, but I'm actually seen as, seen as a, a, a damager or, you know, a bad person or someone who needs to be ostracized. And, um, that, that whole phenomena is, uh, very difficult for me. It always yeah. has been. Yeah. So how have you worked to overcome that? Well, 40,000 patients is one way to overcome that. And, you know, some of them, some of them have actually, you know, given me their feedback or negative feedback. So, you know, as I, even as I work now, I mentioned Alt MBA or other spiritual growth um, that I've done in, in the world of uh, religious growth or in the world of non, you know, of, uh, uh, of secular growth and also growth and development courses that I've done or treat or trained or taught. And, you know, there's nothing more valuable than just straight experience. So getting the feedback for what the feedback is, or um, even being misunderstood for the value of being misunderstood um, is it's a trick, you know, but it's a high level trick. It's an evolution. It's like my first response is to cringe. My first response is, you know, like, you know, like a cat does actually. And, and then my second response can be human, which is, Hey, that's you cringing. You recognize that it isn't the only way to approach this. Can you listen to this for the value that's there? Can you let your sensitivity be a, be a tool rather than, a, um, than a barrier, you know, can it be a tool rather than a vulnerability or maybe not vulnerability, like a, a tool rather than a, um, a, um, a curse then uh, I, I, uh, I generally am able to incorporate it as long as I am honest with myself and stay sensitive because people actually really do attract at some levels to sensibility. Some do. Others treat it like a piranha, you know, but in general, some people really, uh, really appreciate sensitivity. And I think I get to know that now that I've been around the world, now that I've earned my stripes, now that I've got my years, now that I get to say that, you know, that um, I got my hardcore experience now coming back sensitive seems to be a space where I'm more insulated to bring out sensitivity. And, I, you know, I'm not even positive that my whole life hasn't been built to do exactly that. Go get every freaking thing I can done so that when I come back and you accuse me of being da, 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 I can at least know that I've really 
<laughs> You're like all over the world, done some shit before. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. And that, that, that's a, it's an interesting feedback loop too, right? Because you're, you don't want um, the, the, I've done something outside of the box. I've done something different. And you get negative feedback for it. And you realize that a lot of times that's not, it's, it's not that bad, right? No. It's not that bad to have someone accuse you of bad things or like, you, you know, in the world of business, you're like, when you take that risk and it goes horribly wrong, right? And it doesn't go the way that you want. And you end up in a place that you didn't want to be and you get back from it and you build back from there and you're like, Oh, that really, really wasn't that bad. And when you build that muscle up, you know, through your, your idea, you said of experience and you realize like I can take on anything, right? It gives you, it gives you a, uh, almost another superpower. Exactly. It does. It's exactly what it does. And I think that's what, you know, that's the essence of it all now living here, you know, putting down a stake in the ground. I haven't traveled much, uh, although I did just take a road trip from grass Valley all the way to, St. Petersburg, Florida, um, uh, for about 22 days. That was a pretty fun trip. We went the Southern route and went through Dallas and Austin and, you know, yeah. Mississippi, Louisiana, and you know, that pathway in, in that route several yeah. times. Yeah. yeah, I guess you have. And, uh, uh, so, you know, got to Tampa and got to St. Petersburg and then came back, but ultimately, you know, what's, what's here now is an opportunity to, to just kind of hold my ground, um, and to allow myself to be a healer, you know, and, and in healing and in listening, there is a, a, a receptiveness that has to take place. And in order to be really honestly receptive, all my receptor sites have to be open in order for that to be the case. I need to be somewhat sensitive and in order to be sensitive. I need to let go of this concern that I need to protect myself from being sensitive. That makes a lot of sense. So I want to talk a little bit about your clients that you actually work with nowadays, right? Um, and talk mm -hmm. about your common enemy. So every superhero has an arch nemesis, right? It's the thing that they have to fight against in their world. In the world of business, we like to put it in the context of your clients, and it's a mindset or it's a flaw that they have that they're struggling with that is holding them back from getting the results they come to you for, right? That, you know, if you had your magic wand and they came to your first podcasting course or they get on the phone with you, you had your magic wand, you could just bop them on the head and help them find their true voice right away. What is that common enemy that you constantly have to fight against with the people you work with? I think the common enemy is sort of something like um, people being attracted to familiarity and a prevailing conversation without asking questions as to the viability or truth of or even the uh, value of what it is that they are now saying and doing. So people fall into a way of being that is just consistent with being uh, making sure that they can continue to belong in a group rather than really accessing what they know to be true, if it might be different than what the, um, what the uh, homogenous group is saying. So people tend to like throw out their individuality um, as being weird or different, like, you know, like we're talking about, actually, you know, the sensitivity and foolish stupidity. People tend yeah. to really throw that out and, and instead just kind of look around for what's being called for and then sort of morph into being that without any uh, reliance on what they know to be true. And that level of duplicity leads to so much pain and discomfort and disease uh, that if we could actually cure that, if we could actually do something for humanity and take away their tendency to do that, this world would be an instantly different place, totally. And yeah, that's, uh, that, that, that's almost that like a perfect description of what's been happening politically over the last couple of years is Indeed. people are just molding themselves into one group or the other and forgetting the individuality of, of, of you know, what makes them themselves what makes them human that's right i know it, it has you know and you you brush up against the political issues and you brush up really you start seeing that it's true in your families and it's true in your interactions with 
nearly everyone and everything, um, you know, and these days while we're bombarded, you know, this is what makes podcasting is so interesting is while we're bombarded with social media um, algorithms or with repetitive news items or wherever, you know, whatever we, the media has so much access to what it is we take in as truth and has done enough, um, enough social experiencing, experimenting to know how to make us feel like what we just read or saw is the truth that we're really, um, we're throwing ourselves out there to the meat grinder to believe that which is coming at us. And we don't really necessarily without a fair amount of effort, have the capacity to undo ourselves um, from the idea that what we just were told is true might not be. Uh, and so we just become that which we hear. And uh, it's a pretty scary time along those lines, because individuality yeah, yeah. is being yeah. is being if you repeat it enough, it's the truth. It is truth. Right? And because right. because what they're what they're really doing is they're altering your perception of, of reality. And for everyone, perception is reality. So and since perception is malleable, you can change the way people see the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's uh not nothing. This is uh this is kind of yesterday's news, isn't Richard? I mean, it's like this is not this is not like the future where that's not like someday they're gonna do that. No. No, they're doing no. it now. They're doing it now. <laughs> it's happening right this very second. Yeah, absolutely. So if the common enemy is that losing our individuality to the modernist group, what do you think the flip side of that is, right? So your driving force, right? If you're so if your common enemy is what you fight against, your driving force is what you fight for, right? So just like, you know, Batman fight to save um, Gotham or Spider-Man fights to save New York or Google fights to index and categorize all of the world's information, whether or not we agree with them doing that's a different discussion entirely. But what is your mission with what you do now? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm a firm believer that there really is something called a true voice. And, you know, although some people have brought up uh, uh, counter viewpoints to that that are worth listening to, I really treat what they say to be a true voice as well. Meaning that once you become aligned with that, which is really important to you, the opportunity to live life from an empowered standpoint that far exceeds anything that duplicity that was there by default when you were living a life different than what you knew was true. When you live a life different than what you know is true, life kind of sucks. It just does. It just does. You got to remember everything you do. You got to be miserable with doing shit that you wish you weren't doing. You got to say stuff that you don't actually believe. That is like a pain. That is like a huge pain. So there's an opportunity to really find what you have to say, to actually be what you have to say, to actually own what it is, is your true voice, to live that life. And that's what I'm after. I don't see, uh, and it's a quick, it's a quick fix. You don't need 23 years in a, on a psychiatrist's couch. You don't need, you don't even need any drugs. Although I suppose some of the mind expansive drugs uh, might be helpful in that area, but it's not really that it's like, all we really need to do is move the things that are out of the way or that are in the way out of the way to recover, to rediscover uh, our true voice, which has been sitting with us the whole time. And frankly, each of us have some access to our true voice. And for me, revealing that and giving people the opportunity to say what they mean before they die is what I'm after. Absolutely. And it's, it's one of those things that let, the more people understand their value the value that their story and their experience brings to other people and the more they actually share that the better our world gets it's really true and it, it, it it's almost any story you know it doesn't have to be a story of like having conquered the dragon it can be any story it can be the story of just being stuck for two years if you, you know five years whatever it can be a tragic story as long as the story's coming from your from coming from your heart and coming from an authentic authentic base an authentic source um, 
the value of authenticity far reaching as it creates a space for everyone around to consider their own authenticity and not necessarily have to be you. Yeah, it definitely, it definitely makes the, uh, makes the world a better place. Um, I think it does. I, say, I, I tell people all the time, we're a story born people. And, you know, part of being a story born people is that you have a story and your story has value to other people. It does. It does. It simply does. And it doesn't, you know, I maybe have, I have some pretty cool stories, you know, and I'm sure you do too. When you travel, you get some pretty great stories. And it doesn't have to be a story that is so riveting that thousands would sit down and listen to it. Because all it really has to be is coming from an authentic source. And frankly, you could tell a story about last night eating popcorn, watching Netflix, that would be so riveting. And you wouldn't even have to make the Netflix show be the center of the riveting. It could be simply your experience while you're sitting there watching Netflix, eating popcorn. And, and once it's that authenticity gets tapped, uh, that's when people become so magnetic, so compelling, so riveting. Absolutely. So I want to shift gears and talk about something a little more practical, um, which is, uh, we call this the hero's tool belt, right? So mm -hmm. just like every superhero has their gadgets, like Batman has his batarangs or Spider-Man has his web slingers. Um, we're talking about top one or two tools you use in your business that you couldn't live without, right? Could be anything from your notepad to your calendar to something you use for your product delivery. Um, anything that you think is essential to getting the job done. What is one of your favorite tools? Yeah. My ears. And why is that? Because if you don't listen, you can't learn and then you have nothing to speak to. You know, it's really important to listen. It's really important to hear what's going on in the world. It's really important to listen, to have your ear on the ground. You know, there's, I don't think I always knew this, you know, I used to think that communication was essentially about speaking and then waiting until the other person was done and then speaking again. <laughs> yeah. And I think that, um, you know, most people actually treat speaking like that. It's like, wait, 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 yeah, this guy's he's kind of talking a little bit loud. I wouldn't mind if I could talk again. And you're not even listening to what the other person is saying. When I started really um, having the space to begin to try to hear, like to begin to set my world aside enough so that I could be curious about someone, what someone else's experience was, that's when I became a super healer. That's when I really got access to my adult wisdom. That was when I started being able to not only be a, to not be a doctor, but to be a healer. That's when I got, you know, got to be the undoctor. That's when I uh, really got to be, uh, one who could be with everyone from the crack house to the mansion or from, you know, from here to, I, I don't know, Tel Aviv to Bangladesh to Auckland, to, you know, Tokyo and back, you know, like there. Allows for learning. Um, if I don't listen, I won't learn anything. I'll just bop around the shit that's already in my head. And that's, you know, that gets old pretty fast. And so, uh, so that's what I think is the biggest skill. So one of the things that cracks me up about that is a couple of weeks ago, my son comes running up to me. He's been, we have a, we have an agreement that uh, he, he gets an audible um, subscription for Christmas every year and every other credit he gets, he has to spend on a uh, mind expanding book rather than mm -hmm. just fiction, which he likes the fiction stories too. Um, but he comes running up to me the other day and he goes, dad, dad. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, so did you know that we have two eyes and two ears and only one mouth, which means we should listen and we should look more than we speak. And I was um, like, I did know that. <laughs> it's like, it made me really happy that he had picked that up. Um, but to, to that point, um, 
one of the things that um, I think is fascinating as a skill for learning how to listen is just going right back to the stories, right? The, uh, you know, I, I mentioned a minute ago, we're, we're story-born people. And learning how to listen and learning how to engage in a conversation is really learning how to listen to the other person's story and see how their story connects with yours. So that when they're done telling their story, you can turn around and tell them some of your story. And it's the exchange of stories that build relationships, which is what all we're doing here on this podcast is, and it's just an exchange of stories. Mm -hmm. um, and that's how you build that listening muscle and how you build that, you know, I call it relationship hacking. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, it's um, the each and everything we say is actually a story. You know, we even the stuff we think that we're saying that is factual is actually just another story, and what we know to be true is just another story, and what we really know to be true is just another story, and what we know, come on, then there's that stuff that's really true. Well, it turns out that's really just another story too, and so the idea of getting that if I was you, I would be seeing the world just as you do. And it's really worth attempting to understand what it's like to be you. That's a pretty fun exercise to get through the day with, uh, with respect to listening. Absolutely. Speaking of heroic tools, I want to take a few minutes to tell you about a tool we built that powers the hero show and is now this show's primary sponsor. Hey there, fellow podcaster. Having a weekly audio and video show on all the major online networks that builds your brand, creates fame, and drives sales for your business doesn't have to be hard. I know it feels that way because you've tried managing your show internally and realize how resource intensive it can be. You felt the pain of pouring eight to 10 hours of work into just getting one hour of content published and promoted all over the place. You see the drain on your resources, but you do it anyways because you know how powerful it is. Heck, you've probably even tried some of those automated solutions and ended up with stuff that makes your brand look cheesy and cheap. That's not helping grow your business. Don't give up though. The struggle ends now. Introducing Push Button Podcasts, a done-for-you service that will help you get your show out every single week without you lifting a finger after you've pushed that stop record button. We handle everything else, uploading, editing, transcribing, writing, research, graphics, publication, and promotion, all done by real humans who know, understand, and care about your brand almost as much as you do. Empowered by our own proprietary technology, our team will let you get back to doing what you love while we handle the rest. Check us out at pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero for 10% off the lifetime of your service with us and see the power of having an audio and video podcast growing and driving micro celebrity status and business in your niche without you having to lift more than a finger to push that stop record button. Again, that's pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero. See you there. You're listening to The Hero Show, unlocking the power of influence and success. So I want to talk then briefly about your own personal heroes, right? Mm. Um, so, you know, every hero has their mentors. Frodo has Gandalf, Luke has Obi-Wan, mm. Robert Kiyosaki mm. has his rich dad. Even Spider-Man has his Uncle Ben, or if you watch the newest movie, it's his Aunt May. Um, who were some of your heroes? Were they real-life mentors, speakers, or authors, maybe peers who were just a couple years ahead of you? And how important mm. were they to what you've accomplished in your business? That's a great question. I really appreciate this question. Um, so I always, uh, I noticed that there is something about my heroes, the ones on the earth with us, the ones who were here that were real live when, and then became either men mentors or role models, included people who were such at the top of the game that the only person in front of them was them. Like actually the best in the world at whatever they do, having done it in ways that no one had ever done it like them and nevertheless uh, achieving results that exceeded anything that anyone had ever done. I've always been super interested in those people. 
So those people in the sports world, you know, would be like Jordan or, or Gretzky or Tiger Woods or Federer, you know, like pe maybe Federer, there's people who are way out there. They're so far out there and yet they get better and they don't get better chasing somebody. They get better just taking on what it means to get better. I've always been super interested in that. The actual yeah. people that go ahead. I was gonna say, yeah, those are the people that 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 expand what we believe is possible about human capability. Yeah, that's right, exactly. And then we start looking in the entertainment business. There was, you know, I really, of course, when I was a kid, I loved the Beatles. They were so critical for me, so critical in 1964. You know, they really just completely changed the world, and it was so much fun to be a Beatle fan at six years old. And then there was, you know, and then you know, but ultimately, stuff like. Um, well, Bruce Springsteen, when he entered my life, was a major, major, major influence. I saw him one night when I had never heard of him, and I'm an audiophile, and I was invited to go to a concert to see this guy who was supposed to be the next Bob Dylan. I spent four and a half hours in a show with uh, Bruce Springsteen as a 16-year-old, and um, he was a major player for me. He could br he brought out possibility as well. Uh, uh, Dave Letterman brought out possibility. I had never seen anybody who was so so fucking hilarious on an improv you know that dude could bring it on any single conversation he had me in tears you know i just loved how funny he was and uh you know then there was others who you know i think that people who break through the mold and then do so excellently another athlete would be like larry bird who was like i was just like well, how how does that guy get this done you know what is that or now, you know, Brady is another one. It's just like, dude, how do you do all that? It's so interesting. Um, so those are the people alive. I think the people who are not alive um, also meet the same criteria. So recently, uh, recently I came in touch again with Johann Sebastian Bach. And I was like, all right, I, that guy had nobody before him and that's what he created and it's unaltered and absolutely like the best music that we can ever think of ever existed and it's 500 years old and no one has improved on it or needed to and he never he didn't have recordings or studios he didn't get to buy it was like who is that what an amazing character you know I'm, i love amazing characters we only know some of his music too like his... that's true yeah, the, the stuff that's famous is only a small fraction small of what he fraction. actually created. And he wasn't just a musician either. I mean, he was just a rock. He was just a major rock star, just like, uh, you know, Leonardo da Vinci's the same kind of thing or Michelangelo's the same kind of thing. Some of these people who are there, you know, who are just extraordinary, they, they drive me forward to get that maybe if I push myself, continue to push myself past excellent, um, I can find a space that's unique and make a contribution that not very many people have made before. And I, why not get there? It's, it's that whole idea that they're, they're the ones that make you question what people say is possible. That's right. Exactly. Because I, I had, I had someone, one of my, my friends was telling me this earlier. Um, we were talking about this. He's like, so we have this box, right? That's like what we, we know, this is like what we think human potential is. And then outside of that box is what really real human potential is but we don't know what that box looks like because we're inside this box. We right. can't see outside of it. No one really knows what actual human potential is, what we're capable of. That's right. Uh, no. And it's those outliers that show you that the box we're in is probably a bit small for what our capabilities are. Absolutely. So, you know, when you look at Gandhi or look at Mother Teresa, or you look at, uh, you know, even if you want to look at Martin Luther King or JFK, or if you want to look at uh, uh, Nelson Mandela, all these folks is really interesting. Another one is, 
Another one who really made a big difference, a little less well-known, is a guy named Samuel Hahnemann. So Samuel Hahnemann is the father of homeopathy. And as a doctor, I think I might have actually been him in the past. He's, he's a pretty amazing guy. He's, uh, he really took aside the whole idea of the nonsense of medicine at the time, the way medicine was going and all the crap that was being called like uh, curative, but really had secondary gain all over it. And he changed a whole field and created something that made so much more sense and incorporated spirituality and all sorts of human traits that um, made homeopathy what it was. And homeopathy was what it was until it got destroyed in the late 1800s and the early 1900s so that we now have this thing called allopathy, which also doubles by a name called like uh, the industrial medical complex, which has its flaws for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and that's an interesting discussion. We probably spent a whole podcast just talking about that. Yeah. Um, but I want to talk a little bit about your guiding principles, right? So one of the things that makes heroes heroic is that they live by a code. For instance, Batman never kills his enemies. He always just brings them to Arkham Asylum. So as we get near the end of this interview, I want to talk about the top one or two principles that you live your life by. Maybe something you wish you'd know when you started out um, early in your career. Mm. Um, I'll let you know, I, I say it with some degree of, of um, like, really, do I really believe this? Or is it still an ideal? But, you know, this idea of all of life being exquisite, that it's all resettable, that it's that eternity is reality, that there is such thing like this is going to keep going long past when I think it's going to end, that ending is a myth, you know, so that, that the possibility that there's something here to actually take into the next world. And therefore, what's here, what I think is here and significant or threatening or, you know, um, uh, terror, you know, like, like uh, threatening to my soul isn't really necessarily threatening to my soul. So there's a there's something about taking care of the temple, taking care of my body, taking care of others, giving it my best try, even when I make human mistakes. And then resetting this idea of being able to reset, regroup, um, and uh, return uh, to take on life again. Like I get to do that shockingly sometimes. Like, okay, I guess I'm back at the starting line again. Yay. You know, I, like, yay. Oh, good. I just, I thought I was long past the starting line, but now I get to choose to start from the starting line one more time. I do love that. Yeah, that is fun. And it's definitely like you, you get through certain points in your life and you're like, oh, I'm like, I feel like I'm starting over, but you're starting over with all the experiences you have up to this point. And so you move faster and better and make better choices. And you, yeah, it's experience builds on itself. Exactly. It does. And it, it, there, there is something, I think that's when, that's when it starts being wise. That's when I earn my white beard. That's when I, you know, it's when I have I an like opportunity. I've earned my couple of gray hairs. There you go. Hair. You're doing, you're getting there. You're getting there. Yeah. 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 I got a few here and a few here. Yeah. And it's like all those toddlers faults out there. Yeah. You're on your <laughs> way. You're well on your way to the white gray beard sage. Yeah. Good cool. So I think that's a, a good place to wrap our interview, but I do finish every interview with something I call the hero's challenge. And mm -hmm. I do this to help get access to stories I might not otherwise find on my own. Right. Cause not everyone's out there doing the podcast rounds like you and I do. Um, so the question is simple. Do you have someone in your life or in your network that you think has a cool entrepreneurial story? Who are they? First names are fine. And why do you think they should come share their story on our show? First person that comes to mind for you. Sanyika Street. And why do you think they should come share their story here? Sanyika, the Firestarter Street, comes from the Washington hood. Washington, D.C. hood is a man who's six foot eight, a gentle giant, and perhaps one of the smartest, most creative people I've ever met. He's a coach of mine, a friend of mine, a colleague of mine, a brother of mine, and a and uh, just another human who is too much, too much fun and too valuable to, to drop off. 
Uh, he's a great interview. He's totally articulate. He's got a great laughter. He's six foot eight and he's, uh, he's, uh, he's brilliant and creative and handsome and fun and smart and intuitive and strong and present and growing and curious and he even knows how to rap and he's got he's now a dad he's recently got married and uh he's just a brilliant entrepreneur who's just kicking ass on his way to seven and eight figures and he's just a coach for men who want a real coach and he's a great person to interview Awesome. I uh, will reach out later and see if we can get him to come on and say uh, say yes to an interview. They don't always say yes, but sometimes they do. And we get a we he'll, get he'll say he'll probably say yes. He's got stuff to say. So in comic books, there's always the crowd at the end who's clapping and cheering for the acts of heroism. As we close, our analogous to that is uh, we want to find out where can people find you if they want your help in the future. Where can they light up the bat signal, so to speak, and say, hey. Um, you know, I would love to get your help with finding my true voice, right? And I think more importantly than where is who are the right types of people to reach out and, and actually light up the bat signal? Well, I think the way to light up the, the reason, the people who should light up the bat signal, the people who really know, you know, there's consultants and coaches and leaders, people who are doing a lot of caregiving, people who know that there's a life out there because they've been helping everybody else find theirs, who know that they've been muted or muffled in their own voice for whatever reason, haven't been able to deliver that voice freely into the world. I think that's who I'm mostly aiming at or the parents of those people. You know, sometimes you might find that it's the parents of those people who also have been, you know, allowing or growing their children to be so inquisitive, perhaps even, uh, you know, someone of, of my generation. Those are the people who are super interested in delivering this true voice that has been uh, locked away for years. And, I think that another group that's along the same line, very similar, are people who have become at least marginally convinced that there's something wrong with them because they're uncomfortable. Ugh. That is like so sad. Yeah, uh, it's like the saddest shit ever, actually. And the people who have who are reaching the point where there's something wrong with me because I'm uncomfortable, those people should come talk to me before they do anything rash, like go enter the industrial medical complex. I don't think that's a very good plan, actually. And um, but they, they, there would be another group who should call me. The if you're just interested in podcasting and learning how to podcasting from zero to sixty, or if you really just want to um, find that true voice and find a platform to deliver it, then the best way to get a hold of me is my email. My email is called Dr. Fred at WelcomeToHumanity.net at drfred at welcometohumanity.net. And another place to find me now is in the True Voice community. That's in a, 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 newly, a newly designed uh, Facebook group. And we're having a summit. You know, we're having a summit. Um, I don't know if that's going to be uh, after or before this airs, but um, in late February on the 19th, 20th of this year, we're having a summit and we'll be having them periodically. So even if this is after then when it airs, um, the next summit is already being prepared. And those are summits where you can learn a little bit more about how people found their true voice and get inspired by people who have found their true voice and delivered effectively into the world, or people who are there to assist lands into the real world. And, uh, you know, that's really all that's left for me to do. I'm, I don't have much left to do than to really just help others find their true voice and, 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 and then deliver it effectively. Awesome. Well, we'll make sure we get the links to all that into the description below this episode. So if you're interested in finding your true voice and want to reach out to Dr. Fred, his contact information will be in the show notes for this episode. Thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your story. Um, it was fascinating to hear your experiences and the way that you approach some of these problems. So appreciate that. Do you have any final words of wisdom for our audience before we hit this uh, stop record button? Uh, 
Well, um, not really. I, I don't know. I, you know, I'm sure we could go after one of these superheroes, you know, for sure. When I was growing up, the superhero that I came in touch with every single Tuesday night was da 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 Batman. And, 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 and on Friday night, we had the Green Hornet. Um, but Batman was the first superhero I fell in love with. I knew all the characters and all the villains. I love the villains. I would have loved to meet all the villains. And, uh, you know, so that was there when, when I was growing up. And it's pretty fun that he's lasted all these years as being the one that you would choose in your podcast to, as your prototype. So I love Batman and uh, thanks for having me on. Thank you for being here. Yeah.